Good afternoon. <laughs> you know, we're so fortunate to live in an area that has so many opportunities for rest and relaxation. For example, there's probably at least a dozen really excellent spas and hot springs within an hour drive of Big Sky. Doesn't that sound nice after whatever it is that you did this weekend? So I did a quick internet search of spa slogans and these are some slogans that are on some local advertisements for local spas and hot springs. And one of them says this, pamper yourself into alignment. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> Another slogan is this, before you diagnose yourself with depression or low self-esteem, first make sure you're not, in fact, just in need of a massage. <laughs> if only it was that easy, right? A third one says this, peace rejuvenation, relaxation. And as peaceful and restorative as these slogans make a day at the spa seem, they also kind of hint at a greater problem. And I think the main problem with spas and hot springs is this. Eventually you have to pull the steaming rocks off your spine. Eventually you have to pull the cucumbers off your eyes. Eventually you have to get out of the hot, restorative, healing water. In other words, as relaxing as a day at the spa can be, a return to the routine is inevitable. Like eventually you have to face reality. You can take a peaceful break from your troubles, but they'll still be waiting for you when the pause is over. And maybe spas are not your thing. Maybe your favorite way to pause from work and stress is downhill skiing or fly fishing or watching sports or hunting or hiking. For me, it's quilting. <laughs> so honestly, these are all components of a healthy lifestyle. But the truth is when we give our time and our energy to these things, they're ultimately a pause or a break from our work and our responsibilities and our stress and our conflict. And when the pause ends, when the break ends, sure we're more rested to face those tensions, but we're no wiser and we're no better prepared. We're just more rested. So this afternoon as we continue our sermon series on the benefits of worship, we come to a passage in Romans 12, 1-2, and it lays out yet another great benefit of taking the time to worship Jesus Christ. While we live in a world that's full of sin and selfishness and hostility and enmity, worship of Jesus Christ equips us to navigate and deal with those things. I hope you guys see the contrast. So many of the things that we give our time and our devotion to are worthy of bringing us rest and relaxation, but they don't equip us to deal with the hardships of life once we return to the reality of our routine. According to Romans 12, 1 to 2, worship of Jesus Christ, it renews our thoughts and our attitudes so that we can deal with and face the hardships of this world. I hope you guys got a bulletin when you came in. Uh, it has an outline with three points, and I'd like us to study these two scripture verses today in three quick sections. First of all, let's talk about the context and the background of Romans chapter 12 so we have a little bit of an understanding of how it fits in with the larger uh, scope of the Bible. Then in section 2, let's 
let's identify the, the main points that Romans 12, 1 to 2 is making. And then in section 3, let's apply the benefits of worship uh, as they're given to us in this encouraging passage. So let's start talking about the book of Romans. Let's do this in just about four or five minutes. Let's do it really briefly because some of you might have a great familiarity with that book. Uh, Romans is a book of the Bible in the New Testament, and it's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a Christian church in Rome, in Italy, around 50 or 52 AD. So Jesus had died and resurrected and gone back to heaven. The church was starting to form throughout Asia and Europe. Uh, and this letter, Paul's letter to the Romans, is just like a masterful essay on the benefits of the gospel. The benefits of if Jesus Christ really died for us and took our place in judgment before God, what does that mean woven all the way throughout the various components of our life? That's the essay that the letter of Romans is addressing. And even though it can be kind of wordy at times, it's so powerful that famous world figures like Augustine, Martin Luther, and John Wesley all became saved. They all became Christians just by reading the book of Romans. That's how much wisdom is inside of it. Uh, some other things that we need to understand about the background of Romans and what Paul is writing to to really understand what today's scripture is all about is how common sacrifices were in this time period. And, uh, you know, we have butchers that kill our animals for us, and some of us here probably don't even eat meat, and our culture has kind of moved beyond that. But we have to understand what this meant to the original audience. And, um, for example, in the book of Acts, chapter 14, uh, it refers to uh, this figure in Bible times, the priest of Zeus, and it talks about how he was sacrificing oxen. In other words, Roman people with the Roman religion still sacrificed animals is a form of worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, another, chap, another letter that Paul wrote, uh, he talks about how Greek people still sacrificed animals as a form of worship at that time as well. And if you guys have ever skimmed through the Old Testament or read through the, the Old Testament, uh, we know that Hebrew people sacrificed animals in their worship at this time as well. And that continued all the way till around 70 A.D., when the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. But this is what's so interesting about today's two verses. In a time when all the major religions in that region were still sacrificing animals as a form of worship to their gods, here in Romans 12, 1-2, Paul is revolutionarily saying that a Christian should offer their lives as a form of worship. And that's less bloody than an animal sacrifice, but it's also more challenging, is it not? That we live with our lives is a sacrifice given to God. The final thing that I think is important for us to uh, kind of focus in on here on before we start to really dig into the specifics of these two verses is that Romans 12.1 starts with a really important word, and the word is therefore. We might use therefore is a nothing word, as a fill-in word. Sometimes when we're trying to think of something to say, we say um or er, and we're just kind of waiting for the next thought to get into our head. And sometimes we think of therefore as a filler word, but it's actually incredibly important because Paul is saying, you're supposed to give your life as a form of worship to God, and he says that after the therefore, and the therefore is referring to everything in Romans 
1 to Romans 11. And as we talked about how this is all about the ramifications or how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, should work through our lives, let me just share with you a couple of the exclamation points, a couple of the put-a-smile-on-your-face things that we learn about Jesus and what he's done for us in the book of Romans. For example, in Romans 6.23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe you don't believe in the Bible, and that's okay, but if you do believe in the Bible, it says that Jesus Christ's victory over sin and death brings you eternal life. In Romans 8.1, it says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you guys ever been driving down the road and the police tape is like the yellow tape is around a property and there's that laminated form nailed to the front door? That means the building is condemned. That means it has been determined by the county that no amount of money could restore, would be worth restoring that building. It's worthless. No good can come out of it. Romans 8.1 says that because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, God does not look at you with condemnation. God does not look at you as worthless. God does not look at you as hopeless. That's good news. And Romans 8.28 says this, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Again, if you are a person of faith, if you believe in what the victory of Jesus Christ has done for your life, it says that we can face the ups and downs of life And God works through all of it, somehow, for good. So these are all like pretty pretty good components of Christianity. These are all things that are really good news. And today's passage starts off with a therefore referring to these things. Because of the privilege, because of the blessings that a Christian experiences through Jesus Christ, therefore, live your lives as an act of worship like a living sacrifice. That's the flow of how we approach today's verses. So moving on here to section 2, I'd like to point out that there's at least three things that the verses that the worship team read to us are really declaring. They're in some ways challenging things, but they're also quite liberating as well. I hope you give me a chance to unpack these. I think the first thing that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is declaring to us, and this is probably the most challenging thing that you'll hear all week, is that yielding the ultimate authority of your life to God is a requirement of the privileged and blessed Christian life. In other words, if you want to live eternally with God, if you want to have God work all things for good, if you want to live without God looking at you with any condemnation, if you want the benefits, if you want the privilege, you also have to live with God as your ultimate authority. Let me give you guys an illustration. Growing up, my grandma did not like to cook big family gatherings. I think 98% of grandmas love to do that, but my grandma did not. So when we would go to her house for Thanksgiving, she would take us all, like, you know, her three sons and all their extended families to a restaurant called the Old Country Buffet. And it was just this giant buffet. And we were handed a plate and we were, for the only time all year, allowed to pick whatever we wanted to eat. This would be what I would always choose. I would put one chicken nugget on my plate because I knew my mom and dad were going to say, did you eat something healthy? So I'd put one chicken nugget. Half the plate would be jello. (laughs) As I was eight. (laughs) 
and the rest would be all desserts, okay? That's how a kid handles a buffet line. But uh, where I'm going with this is that a lot of Christians want to live their lives as buffet line Christians. They want to pick and choose what in the Bible appeals to them. They want to pick and choose what they're going to recognize as authority, but then they're going to pick other things that might be completely contrary to what Scripture presents. And here in Romans 12:1, Paul is not allowing for the duality of a Christian who says, I'm a believer, who says, I'm a person of faith, who says, I'm a Christian, but then goes through the buffet line and determines how they're going to handle money and how they're going to exercise their sexuality and who they're going to choose to forgive and who they're going to choose to hold a grudge with. And the list goes on and on. Our lives contrast with Scripture and to live with God as our ultimate authority means that when that contrast comes, our actions show that we're yielding to God. And if in the secret places we say, I'm going to pick and I'm going to choose, what this passage is saying is that we're not truly offering our lives as a form of worship as God asks us to. So that's the first challenging thing about today's verses. The next thing that it says is that uh, part of God's plan for us as Christians is to resist conformity to the world. I want you to think about how many advertisements you see in just one day. How many songs come on the radio that maybe you didn't choose but you listen to? Uh, how many messages you're subjected to uh, with commercials or the TV shows that you're watching? And you know, a lot of art is beautiful and a lot of art is redemptive, but inevitably along the way, some of these songs and shows and values are totally contrary to what the Bible says. And so over time, like water can warp wood, culture warps us or changes us from what God has called us to represent. And I could do what most pastors do, and I could try to scold you for the ways that you might conform to culture, but I've always felt that it's much more motivating to be inspired by a great example of somebody who's refused to conform to culture. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the documentary. It's made in 2015, and it's called The Dropbox. There's a problem in a lot of Asian countries, uh, specifically South Korea, and that is that um, the culture and some of the laws and some of the taxes really deter people from raising a child if they're single. Uh, and so unfortunately, in Seoul, South Korea, hundreds of infants just get abandoned on the streets every single year. So this documentary, The Dropbox, is about a pastor named Lee Wong Rock, and he and his wife came up with this idea to create a heated drop box with an alarm, totally anonymous, so that people not ready to have a child have a safe place to drop that infant so that it can get medical assistance and be relocated with a family that can care for it. It's a true story, and I promise you it'll make you cry several times. And uh, in the time since Pastor Lee and his wife started this drop box, over 600 infants have been saved and relocated. Think about the way that most of the people in the city are thinking about those infants and think about the power of a husband and wife who refuse to conform to the culture around them. Even more beautifully is that very few people want to adopt a child that has special needs. And so this pastor and his wife 
have adopted 17 special needs children that nobody else would claim. So the second thing that Romans 12, 1-2 tells us is that part of God's plan for us as Christians is to resist, to resist conformity to the way that sometimes the rest of the world thinks. And when somebody has the conviction to do that, is, is it not a beautiful and inspiring thing? Well, how do we do that? How do we resist conformity to the way that other people sometimes think and act? And it wraps up there in Romans 12, 2 by telling us that worship is actually an essential part of resisting conformity to this world and thriving as a Christ follower. Actually having the discipline to come and worship Jesus Christ is one of the things that helps us resist conformity and get our thoughts and our values back to where God would have them to be. The progression in these two verses is this. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. and Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. In other words, worship recalibrates us. Worshiping Jesus Christ reminds us of who he is, what he's done for us, and how he's called us to live. I'm coming from a place in my last home in Wisconsin that was a huge hunting culture. And around the end of summer, early fall, when you ask a dude what he did that weekend, he gets a smile on his face and he says, I sighted my rifle. I sighted my bow. And as your weapon is down in a cold basement or as it gets moved around during spring cleaning, sometimes the scope just gets bumped and it just gets a little bit off. And these guys are not going to miss a giant trophy buck because their weapon wasn't sighted properly. So they spend a whole day or a whole weekend going out to the range and just making sure that that scope on that rifle or that on that bow is, is back exactly where it's supposed to be. And when they take that shot, it's not off target. Similarly to that, Paul is telling us here that when we come and when we worship Jesus Christ, it takes our aim, which gets a little bit off, just living in this world, and it restores it on the bullseye or the target how God wants us to be living. Let's wrap up with uh, just two benefits of this, right? There's been some challenging things in these verses so far. We all know that it's sometimes difficult to have the discipline to come to church and worship with all the errands we have to run and all the other things that compete for our time and for our attention. Let's wrap up with two benefits, according to Paul, of what worship accomplishes in our lives. The first one is this. Regular praise and worship reminds us and reestablishes God as the ultimate authority in our lives. Like, I'm up here and I'm a pastor and I'm saying that... Uh, to worship reminds us that God is supposed to be the ultimate authority in our life. But if you guys knew me really well, by Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, I'm just going to be a little bit off track. I'm going to be giving my time and resources to things that maybe aren't ideal for how God wants me to live. And you guys probably go through similar patterns. Coming and listening to God's word being taught and worshiping Jesus Christ, it reestablishes God as the ultimate authority in your life. And you know, that's kind of another problem with recreation and, uh, and rest. Let me give you guys a couple examples. When I turn off a great football game with a smile on my face, I also have the thought, man, that would have been even better if the coach would have listened to what I was shouting at the TV, right? <laughs> or I wake up from a nap and all seems well with the world, and I think to myself, man, this house and this world is such a better place when I get what I want, 
All right. Or I come back from Yellowstone so reinvigorated and I think to myself, the unspoiled wilderness would be so much better if it wasn't for all these other idiots in their cars. You know? <laughs> in other words, most of the things that I give my time and my devotion to, they falsely empower me. Do you get that? They're not necessarily bad things, but when I get what I want, it falsely empowers me. But when I leave church, when I've just worshipped with our incredible worship team, the thought that comes through my brain is God is a better God than I am. This world is a better place when I've yielded authority and control to God. God is worthy of praise, and I am not worthy of the praise I give myself. The songwriter Matt Redman said this really well. I actually read this a couple weeks ago, but let's read it again. It's so great. A great songwriter said this, I love to say that not only is the throne room of God a place of reverence, it's also a place of refuge. So when everything else in life seems to be shifting or breaking and shaking apart, there's a place that's always stable, always safe, always constant. When we draw near to God in worship and when we approach His throne, we can tap into that and it's a reassuring place. And we're reminded that there's a God on His throne and even when we don't understand everything, we can trust him. Right? So the first application point to Romans 12, 1-2 is that worship of Jesus Christ, regular praise and worship, it reestablishes God as the worthy authority in our lives, even over the authority we give to ourselves. And the second and final application point is this, regular praise and worship actually recalibrates our wrongful attitudes and values. Earlier on, we sang a song called Ever Be, and one of the lines says this, singing to God, And you shoulder our weakness, and your strength becomes our own. And when I hear you guys singing verses like that, it reminds me that even when I fail in my own strength, that's okay, because we're really called to let God be our strength, right? And so that wrongful thought gets recalibrated to where it's supposed to be. I think we're going to, in just a moment, sing one of my favorite songs called What a Beautiful Name. And there's a, a lyric in that song that says, My sin was great, but your love was greater. And that reminds me that even though I'm sinful and even though I am full of constant failings, God has made a way for me to live rightly because His love is greater than my sin and my failings. And so again, worship is restorative and it's repairing where our thoughts and values have veered off track. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. They're going to wrap up our service with just a final song or two. And as they come up front, let me just give our summary statement from our study of Romans 12, 1 to 2, and it's this. Our summary statement is worshiping Jesus Christ it reestablishes God as the rightful authority in our lives, as well as renewing and refining our attitudes from the way that they inevitably become warped from culture. These final songs, let's just recalibrate where our thoughts and our values have gotten a little bit off track, and let's recognize God as the only one who's truly worthy of our worship.